0: Special thanks to CHR Hansen, a leader in fermentation and innovative brewing solutions. CHR Hansen's range of high-quality yeasts includes Smart Bev Neer, which crafts flavorful beer entirely without the alcohol. These yeasts even enable fast, climate-friendly, and cost-efficient production. We thank CHR Hansen for their support and commitment to excellence in brewing. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. A volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 go, go. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations.
1: Come down, i moving too fast.
0: This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now
2: available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how
0: Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Berkeley Yeast, creators of diacetyl-free yeast strains. Diacetyl-free strains are bioengineered to produce the ALDC enzyme inside the yeast cell to keep diacetyl low during fermentation and after packaging. Diacetyl-free strains create the cleanest flavor profile possible, which makes them the yeast of choice for the most exacting brewer. Go to berkeleyeast.com to read about how brewers are using diacetyl-free strains to propel their beers to the top of the podium. Grist Analytics captures and trends data across the brewery so you can see issues as they are happening, not several batches later. Get real time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and see scheduling predictions from anywhere. Connect Grist with your ERP platform to cover your brewery from production to finance. You've got that
3: known broad membership that's seeing this so so you've got a good sense of of kind of who's answering your questions and obviously you can look individuals up but it's the basically the power of the the master brewers as an entity that i think adds a lot of value
0: this week on the show we go behind the scenes with the three moderators responsible for ensuring the highest possible quality content of the industry's best technical
2: brewing forum. Hi, my name is Lars Larson, and I'm with the Trumer Brewery in Berkeley, California.
3: I'm Walter Hebe. I spent 30 years working for Miller Coors uh, in Virginia, and I'm now retired.
1: Hi, I'm Andy Tabikram. I'm with Market Garden Brewery at Cleveland, Ohio, and a former Master Brewers president.
0: The three of you have been working behind the scenes at Master Brewers tirelessly for many years now to not only keep an important member benefit running, but also in what I guess could be defined as a sort of QA role. Andy, explain what I'm talking about. What, what is it that you guys do?
1: Well, our primary goal is to... Uh, sort out the stuff that doesn't belong in there, which is like commercial uh, sales pitches or, uh, frankly, we get a lot of duplicate submissions. Uh, so you only need to hit that send button once, folks. Uh, but also vetting the content, uh, making sure that, you know, that it's actually kind of a legitimate question and that it's uh, something that's technical and it's not just sort of more, I don't know, non-technical. We sometimes see those uh and, and basically, just making sure that you know we're maintaining a high enough standard to keep it interesting and keep it relevant.
0: Today, our goal is to really increase awareness of the popular member benefit known as Ask the Brewmasters, and we decided to do that by highlighting some of your favorite discussion threads over the years. So, a bit of a moderator's great, greatest hits, if you will. Um, who wants to? Who would like to go first?
1: Uh, I'm happy to, to go first, if all right. that's okay. It's um, okay. What do you want right, to talk about? So the way I kind of searched because we have a lot to search through, uh, I just, because I'm lazy, I did it the easy way. And I sorted by most popular posts. And I came across three of them uh, that had the most replies. So I should say most replies. Uh, two of them had 25 replies. One of them had 24. And then everything was below that. So I picked the top three. And, uh, so the first one was about the delayed effects of dissolved oxygen in cans, uh, really, uh, obviously a very relevant topic. Dissolved oxygen is something that we all fret about. And, uh, basically the post started off by saying, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm getting these oxidative flavor changes, but my DOs are actually pretty low. The, the measurements look good. So I'm not sure what's going on. And, and also, um, it kind of went into like, what are the flavor changes? You know, so after after some discussion about you know basic you know how do you you know run down oxygen and can you measure TPO versus DO, uh, which is always relevant. But then it, it came down to um, mostly it's IPAs and APAs, heavily hot beers that are experiencing a flavor change that really doesn't fit with the conventional descriptor of papery, right? So the trans-2, not in all. Um, and and I thought that was pretty interesting where this discussion went, which is that, you know, there's a lot, a lot of flavor change that can happen at the chemical level in beer, um, and especially when you start throwing more hops in. Uh, it really complicates the picture. Uh, there's a lot going on there. And uh, one of the commenters said, hey, you know, look at beta damascenone." Uh, and that 's a very relevant thing it it can be used as a flavor spike and it's much more uh say um, predictive or or able to let people taste what 's really going on more than the papery descriptor and uh you know and it really relates more to non oxidative beer aging uh which I think is is relevant um one of the things that did not really come up in that discussion and I think is also relevant is that IPAs, APAs, things that are dry hopped—they uh, they raise the pH when you do that. So if you're not looking at pH when you're dry hopping, there's a good chance you're, you're boosting the pH up into the maybe four six five four seven range or even higher, uh, and that will drive these reactions, these, these kind of chemical oxidative reactions, even faster. So your beer can be aging out. In the fermenter before you even transfer it into the bright tank, uh, just because of pH, and of course, high pH uh, in package is a bad thing for continuing that oxidative flavor change. But also, from a food safety standpoint, you know, you you really want to be at like four or five or max four or six to protect the beer against uh, potential you know organisms that can cause uh, bad things to people. So I think that's it's a really cool post. Um,
0: Definitely worth looking at. Yeah, there's a lot in here. Um, anybody else have any comments on this post Andy's bringing up?
3: Yeah, one of the things I noticed was, and and this happens pretty commonly, but uh, there were references out to the literature. So uh, one of the things that that folks tend to see is there often you'll get uh, go listen to this podcast that uh, that John put together, or go to this. Uh, a brewing periodical, uh, and here's a reference uh, date, or go to this textbook. So, I think the the tie back to the brewing literature
0: uh, tends to come out pretty frequently. Cool. All right, let's go on to a next one, Lars or uh, Walter. Uh, Would you guys want to pick one?
3: Yeah, we can we can do one of mine. Um, I sort of did a, a query somewhat like Andy did, although I looked basically more currently and and these were from the summer uh, but the the first one I picked up on was uh, mesh press operation mesh uh, press filter and it actually uh, started with just some some basic questions around how do I operate a filter press and and what can I do and again it was a, a post that kind of went on from a, a slightly different perspective maybe not a, a Brewing science perspective, but more of maintenance um, mechanical operational perspective and and we see those kind of posts pretty often and I think you get a lot of really good input because uh, maybe somebody's got a new piece of kit or or have moved to a new brewery and they're they're familiar with brewing, familiar with techniques, but totally unfamiliar with piece of equipment. Um, they post out to the forum they get feedback from. Uh, others that, that maybe have had more experience, or we start getting input from folks that are members that are uh, service reps or retired engineers. So, uh, that that is why this uh, was a good example to me of some of what we see, and this one was from August of this year. So, relatively uh, recent, but a, a pretty good example, I think.
0: Yeah, and I like it because, I mean, you know, it's not just a sea of um, of vendors trying to sell you their latest technology or whatever, right? You know, it's people that have actually used this equipment on a regular basis and, you know, can provide some real practical insight into how it works and, and, you know, what the idiosyncrasies are. And then even when you do have some vendors chime in, you know, they're they're adding value rather than, um, you know, trying to sell anybody anything.
3: Yeah, it's a, that's a a good example of, and we mentioned it earlier, but uh, the piece around being gatekeepers. You know, we basically keep the commercial piece out of Ask the Brewmasters, and in the past have had to push back on folks that that maybe put a commercial flag in there with good technical information. So we've told them, go ahead and repost. The technical is great. Your expertise is great. You know, offer to to reach out to somebody, but leave the commercial out because we're not interested in that. It, there's, it just doesn't help this particular forum uh, move forward or help folks.
1: I'll just point out that it also uh, is an example where technology is changing in brewing, you know. Uh, mash filters are not new they've been around for 100 years or more but they're becoming increasingly common to see even in small breweries where it used to just be the large ones that were using them and uh, you know I kind of wonder if in 20 or 30 years you'll even see anybody putting in louder tons for any reason because these things are pretty uh, pretty flexible pretty uh, you know let you do a lot of things with grains that you wouldn't normally be able to use
0: Are you selling uh, mash filters now Andy? <laughs> <I'm> just am Not yet. No, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right Lars, you got one for us sure um
2: the post that it actually came out like five or more years ago or so it was 2017 um i I did something similar as the other guys was looking at uh posts that got a lot of feedback and and if there's a lot of discussion you know that seems that there is good interest in it so even though it's a little bit older it's hitting mash in temperature and um I thought this was interesting and, and a good example because this is typically a problem that um, smaller brewers are having. And, and and this has been something that obviously has been around for centuries, that people are trying to get their mash temperature right. Um, but it's still of interest and it's something that you know people still do sometimes have problems with. And so it was a good example of uh, feedback coming in from uh, multiple different sides to help people kind of troubleshoot their um, uh, their methods.
0: Yeah, yeah. And just for the record, anyone listening, we'll, um, we'll put a, links, obviously, to each of these uh, in the show notes, so you can follow along as you listen or uh, look them up afterwards if you want to.
2: Yeah. Um, And also in this, there's several examples of um, folks putting in uh, the calculations that they use to get that strike temperature just right and techniques that they use. I mean, this is not something that is for the the really big professional brewers who've got, you know, large systems that where it's, this is for those who are still using a mash paddle and, you know, that five to 10 barrel range for the most part.
3: Uh, Lars makes a really good point as I looked at this one. You you saw that. You saw that folks were, were adding that kind of input. The other thing that you see in a lot of posts is folks ask very specific questions back to the author. So they're obviously paying attention, they're reading, they're really interested. So... That's always encouraging to me, uh, because it, it tells me that folks are really interested in the topic. If they're gonna, they ask some very specific questions. What's your process? What are these steps look like? So, to me, that that speaks to
0: the quality of the forum. Absolutely. All right, Andy, back to you. I think.
1: Okay, this uh, interesting post was about having problem cooling tanks below two to three degrees Celsius. Um, and it's, uh, well, it's a pretty common problem, I think, so I'm glad it came up. And I had uh, a really good discussion around kind of jacket placement. In this case, it was a small tank, uh, well, relatively small, 30 hectoliter uh, single cooling jacket. Uh, so a lot of discussion went into, uh, is the glycol flowing? You know, is it, is it flowing fast enough? What's the glycol temperature? Uh, what's the concentration of the glycol? And uh, are there is there air in the jackets? You know, are the solenoid valves working, uh, which I immediately say solenoids. My God, I hate solenoids in glycol systems. Uh, put the solenoid on an air valve and then pneumatically operate if you can. Um, but uh, uh, Lars weighed in on something that I thought was interesting, which is about convection currents and cooling and how that can impact what's going on. Uh, I don't, Lars, do you want to talk about that at all? Um, let me go back and take a take a quick look here. I expect him to remember I what
0: he wrote in twenty nineteen. <laughs> <I mean, Exactly. laughs> yeah, so yeah, exactly.
2: So convection currents when you when you're when you're down at um, the low temperatures, um, as we know, water behaves differently. It's you know its freezing point is above, um, so at four C is where it's most dense, and you only get convection when you've got either um where you've got differences in density essentially and and that is due to the temperature temperature differences you know so if you've got a forced current or if you've got co2 bubbling then you'll get movement but that's forced movement the convection is sort of a natural distribution or redistribution and uh, that's something that needs to be taken into account and and actually the um Podcast John that you did with travis Odette was was very good on this and and there was a, a ton of great information that is also relevant to this topic here
1: and another thing i 'd like to point out about this post is that uh, uh Ashton Lewis weighed in, uh, and of course a lot of people know Ashton is as, uh, working for BSG, but he spent something like twenty years working for Mueller, uh, so knows a lot about tank design and jacket placement so he uh, Drew up, actually, hand sketched a little scenario where you have a, a single cooling jacket on a tank, and then a sidewall and a cone jacket or a dish bottom jacket, and how those will behave differently. The one with the bottom jacket is going to uh, cool a lot better, basically, just because it has that bottom jacket. And that, this is a big thing for people that buy uh, bright beer tanks that have dish bottoms. Oftentimes, to save money, they won't put a jacket on it. You've got this big dish just sitting there collecting heat and your your beer at the bottom of your tank can be warmer than the beer above it. So that all plays into effect as well.
0: Coming up.
2: I went through a lot of questions about this uh, over here at Trummer because we separate out the husks from the endosperm
0: I'm John Bryce and you're listening to the Master Brewers podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support.
3: Crisp Malt has been supplying the finest British malt to the brewing and distilling industry since 1870. Today over 150 years later, Crisp Malt works across four countries and seven malting sites each one successfully blending heritage and experience with modern technologies and innovations. Explore the entire crisp malt portfolio at bsgcraftbrewing.com, where you can find heritage malt varieties such as Chevalier and Number 19 malted
1: Maris Otter. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado domestically grown precisely malted to style with our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses try what's really new in malt check us out at www.proximitymalt.com
0: positively impact your process product and profitability with actionable insights from brew iq the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry-favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit BrewingScience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the US. The Lupulin Exchange, one stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The Master Brewer's Brewery Packaging Technology course begins February 22nd. District Great Plains has their annual meeting February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. District Southern California meets at Anheuser-Busch February 24th. District Northern California meets February 25th at Moonlight Brewing in Santa Rosa. District St. Louis meets at Top Golf in Chesterfield February 26th. The District New York Shop Talk is March 4th at Wild East Brewing Company in Brooklyn. District Mid-Atlantic meets March 9th at Honor Brewing Company in Sterling. District St. Louis's March Shop Talk will be at Blue Jay Brewing March 21st. District Philly meets March 22nd at Workhorse Brewing in King of Prussia. District Montreal meets March 27th. The District St. Louis Spring Quarterly Meeting is April 8th. District St. Louis teams up with the local Pink Boots chapter May 9th at Nine Mile Garden. District Northwest meets in beautiful Hood River May 10th and 11th. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 6th. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress. That's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now, back to the show. All
3: right,
0: Walter, um, you're up next.
3: Yeah, the the next one that I found, again, kind of looking at, at the broad diversity of topics that we, we have on the forum was employee compliance suggestions for quality, security, and safety. And the original post kind of asked how uh, could the... Uh, the individual, the leader, um, encourage folks, hold people accountable, uh, to the important things that we, we all have as our top priorities, quality, security, safety. And so it was a a bit of a different discussion and we, we don't see a lot of these, but obviously it was, uh, it was topical, and certainly the the broad, again, the broad membership of, of Master Brewers, uh, a lot of, of brewing leaders, a lot of folks that have been uh, involved for years in uh, working with teams, working with employees. So, uh, to me, it was a, a good example of a slightly different uh, topic, not really maintenance, not really design, not really operation, but again, really important to day to day in and out. Uh, keeping a brewery functioning properly, keeping our employees safe, and putting a quality product out. So I I really liked this one, and again found this one uh, from the summer, so uh, pretty recent.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I thought it was cool too because there's a, you know there's links to like you know everything from like toolbox talks to like you know BA resources in there, and then there are all kinds of links. But then you also get like you know a lot of times when there's a safety one like this, I'm always amazed how many um, you know people in the like safety consultant space that we have as members and so like you'll get some of them will chime in and you know that they do this stuff for a living so they have usually some pretty good answers um, so uh, so yeah I think there's a there's a lot of cool stuff in there
3: yeah and, and that's a perfect example too because the, the membership if we look at the membership of master Brewers it really goes from A to Z uh, academia uh, again uh, safety specialists, but, you know, design folks. And we've we've kind of talked about a lot of these different areas. And so, you can put this question out there and it gets in front of all sorts of disciplines. So, uh, to me, one of the real values of Ask the Brewmaster.
0: And then Lars even chimed in on that one too to point out uh Mary Pelletieri's book and the uh how it's available in the in the Master Brewers bookstore for and how members save ten percent. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go.
2: It's you know doing a little pitch,
0: helping yeah. the team. Yeah, there you go. Um all right, Lars, you're up.
2: Uh there's another one that I picked here. It's actually sort of in the similar vein of technology that's been around a while that is still revel- re- relevant and that's uh, the whirlpool velocity spin time and uh, where there hasn't been a, a lot of technological changes, probably in whirlpool over the past hundred years. Um, but there, that does go, you know, it talks through some of that and what, why people might be having trouble and and what kind of troubleshooting could be done, and if you actually have to go back in and re-engineer, what things you might need to look at. So it was, um, I thought it was good for that reason.
0: I haven't I haven't looked all the way through that one, but I do remember there was a couple of um, interesting articles. Uh, it, there's a few TQ articles that go way back that I think um, you know are right up in, in the alley of this. And so the first one that comes to mind was. Um, and I think I now that I'm scrolling through it, I do see it in there. There is the story of the whirlpool from 1969 mm-hmm.
2: in there, right? Yeah. And, and it goes to show that that, is, that was fundamental research that was done 50 years ago and is still relevant. And that is accessible to, to us through the Master Brewers uh, Resources Library.
0: So that was one I remember talking when I was able to interview Fritz Maytag. He talked about how that article, you know, that was right about the time when he was when he bought anchor and so uh he was talking about how that was uh, instrumental and he he decided to you know put one of these newfangled whirlpools in and, <laughs> and that article was was why he did it so and then and then mallet also commented in there too he has a he also had an an updated version of that uh, it looks like exactly 30 years later
2: Yeah, Mallet references German professor Denk, uh, D-E-N-K, who uh, did a lot of work uh, on whirlpools and came up with sort of this optimization where there are these, they're called the the Denk rings, rings that that, that are named after him, that he developed these um, flat rings that go into the bottom of the whirlpool, and they just do, uh, you know, they increase the, the... the output by like 10 or 15%, they just do a much better job of creating a, uh, a good solid cone in the middle of it. And despite all of that, and that was his work was done in the 70s and 80s, you don't really see those in any whirlpool. So it's interesting that there's some optimizations that are done that just don't actually take hold or get implemented
1: around the, around the industry. There's also a, a reference uh, in this posting to Kunz's Technology Brewing and Malting book, which uh, that's that's when I finally, when that first came out back in the mid nineties, kind of, oh, that's how you make a whirlpool work, you know. Uh, that was that was instrumental to really helping me understand the, what was going on in there and and how you can make it work or how to make it not work. Quite honestly. Cool.
0: All right, we'll be back to Andy. Where are we?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, the last post is. Going to be maybe familiar to John because it's uh, one that he put up there about phenolic off flavor in uh, in, a, in a problematic lager. I think it was a logger, yes.
0: Yep, you got it.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, just like where is this coming from? I'm having this weird kind of flavor and want to want to know more about it. Um, so, I mean, John, do you want to talk us through what you were experiencing there?
0: sure I'm happy to do it. I had to look this up again cuz it's been um it's been about 4 years since this was yeah. posted so it was uh but yeah this was a real head scratcher. I was brewing a beer it was a Mertzen, It was a beer that I'd brewed a million times before and I got this like real low level burnt rubber phenolic flavor that was I think that in the end I think I'm just really sensitive to that. There weren't Widespread complaints. I wasn't. A lot of other people were like, "Oh, this is fine," you know. Um, We would see every now and then a a a report of, "Oh, there's some something weird here. There's a weird flavor." They they they'd say there's something off, but wouldn't really say exactly the right the same thing. But um, yeah, I was trying to chase this down. I was trying to figure out, okay, you know, is this micro? You know, is it? uh, You know, I went down a lot of different rabbit holes and tried to really lay out my troubleshooting in this in this post because I was really kind of stuck. It was cool because like uh, it had a lot of responses and a lot of different ideas about things to to, to check out. I guess I'll uh, kind of give the spoiler alert here. Basically, um, after we worked through a lot of different things, Dan Carey had chimed in, and actually, what he Pointed out what ended up being the no no pun intended was the smoking gun, Um, and that was some specialty malts, and these were specialty malts from a major supplier that I had used many many times before. Something could have gone wrong uh, in their quality control. Something could have gone wrong during storage at the wholesaler. You know who knows. A lot of things could have gone could have gone wrong in storage at our at the brewery. But and this was a really good learning experience for me because. As I kind of like started narrowing down the the root cause analysis, and I started kind of really focusing in on the malt, and uh, and I wasn't sure it was the specialty malt at at first. At first, I thought it could have also been the base malt because I was working in a brewery that was using estate grown barley, and for this particular batch, uh, due to a timing issue, we had not used the estate grown barley, and we we had used you know commercially available European pills and instead. So uh, that was a difference, right? And I was brewing other other lagers, you know, with the I was repitching the yeast and like making, you know, Hellas with it, and like the Hellas was totally fine. So it didn't seem like it was a micro thing, you know. But uh, in the end I was encouraged to do some hot steeps of the of the malts. And so I went to my local craft malster who had been malting our estate grown barley for us and we did some hot steeps together and then like it was this huge light bulb because the the flavor did in fact come through in the steeps and the big aha moment for me was my friend jeff the malster at murphy and root here in charlottesville you know they, I see them, they walk around and they, they just chew on malt all day long because they're they're tasting constantly, right? And I had gotten out of the habit of, of doing that, right? And so, you know, I just picked some of the malt and chewed it. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's the flavor. It's right there the whole time. Like had I just chewed this malt before I put it in the mill, I would have known that this was going to be a problem. And I had, I had done that in past years. And then for whatever reason, I'd gotten out of the habit. And I can assure you that after this experience – I started chewing every single malt that went into a mill, you know, forever after that. So it was a really good learning experience and it was a really good post because it went in a lot of different directions.
3: Yeah, it was really, it's a great example again, where the feedback, there was feedback from kind of all over the spectrum of uh, potential problems. And it, and it was, that's that just brief because, you know, I'm, I've, Looking again at Dan Dan Carey's comment, and it was just that brief comment, one sentence. Yeah, um, you know, but it was a different idea, a different thought, and it triggered
1: obviously a, a, a solution, a root cause. So, yeah, a great example. Yeah, you know, you read all the posts, but especially read the ones that Dan Carey puts up. <laughs> 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 He's got a way of being very, uh, very correct most of the time. Yeah. Um, but also a good reminder, like you said, John, too, for brewers to constantly be tasting what they're doing. You know, taste your wort as it's coming out of the louder Taste your grain as it's going in. Drink your brewing water before you start brewing. Just yep. see if everything's all all correct.
0: Yep. That's one of the things I learned from a lot of the A B guys. You know, I was amazed when I first saw them, but they taste everything. They taste, you know, they taste all the ingredients, they taste the condensate coming out of the drip ring on the brew kettle they you know that you name it they taste it you know so um i think that's a a good thing to implement as much as you can um all right i just think we're back to walter now walter what do you have
3: yeah the the last one that i pulled out was around uh, grist case design uh, again from uh, mid-summer but just to me, it was a kind of a different example of, uh, in this case, it was sort of a design engineering uh, question that it started as, a. Uh, here's the problem I have with uh, the design that, that we kind of ended up with, ideas for uh, solutions for it. And and again, uh, feedback kind of from, from all over, lots of different uh, folks and perspectives uh, from the standpoint of folks that that brewed and operated to, uh, design input. Uh, but again, to me, a, a good example of where, uh, a question gets a lot of different, uh, angles, a lot of different responses. So I, I thought it was a good example.
2: Yeah, this one was interesting to me as well. Um, and I didn't actually post in response to this, but I went through, uh, a lot of questions about this uh, over here at Trummer because we separate out the husks from the endosperm and we were um having a lot of difficulty and still actually it's it's still not easy but getting the husks to flow out of a grist case and um uh, the they just don't want to and so you know we were banging and we had tried a lot of the things that they people had looked at here um, and you know, with huge opening—an eight-inch opening—that is still not really getting the the husk to flow out of it. And it was, uh, yeah. Then I, I I was looking at went to outside of our industry to um, sort of the grain millers and so on, and looking at mass flow and funnel flow for the different, you know, how 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 these how that affects what's going on. It's it, it's Definitely a complicated topic and you can get extremely frustrated if your grain doesn't actually leaving your, uh,
0: your hopper. All right. We're back to you, Lars. I think you've got one about um, pasteurization units. Is that right?
2: Yeah. And and this one was um, interesting because it was speaking, you know, generally pasteurization has been only for the big brewers and uh, we're finding that a lot of the smaller ones now have uh, finding real necessity for it because they're adding all kinds of things that hadn't been in beer in the past and and have much different pasteurization requirements. And there's a lot of uh, uh, possibility for real disasters to happen if, um, from a food safety standpoint if uh, there are beers put out there that have... Um, Fruits and other additives in there that where you have a continued fermentation or, or other kind of growth, uh, microbial growth inside there that, you know, one good point in it was that you can't just spitball where the, you know, what kind of PUs you need, you know, you, you actually need to do the work and the research, the science on it to figure out, um, where you need to be to make sure you're putting a safe product out on the market.
0: I think you're referencing Alex Spears comment, calculation yeah. of PU values should not be a flippant <laughs> exercise. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes.
3: Well, I'll tell you the other thing I see, uh, saw in this one is again, so much literature, so many references to, to, um, to brewing literature. So uh, just a great example of, of the, the feedback you can get and, and, Lets you do some background and do some reading and understanding uh, about the question you've asked, and so you can kind of begin to form your own opinion as well as what you're hearing from other folks so to me, a lot of value in the brewing literature
0: yeah and and also too just you know not to like drop names or anything, but I mean if you look at some of the folks that weighed in on this, I mean again. Dan Carey was on there, but you had like, you know, Carl Ockert, Alex Spears. I mean, you have people that have been in this industry for a pretty long time uh, that have, you know, a lot of knowledge to share. So, I mean, you're really tapping into, uh, you know, a knowledge base that is is really broad and, and, you know, there's a lot of years of experience between all the people that chimed in on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I think we got them all, didn't we?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Okay, perfect. And our timing was just about right. Is there anything else I missed or anything else anybody's dying to say?
1: I'll just say it's been fun to moderate this over the years. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's a fun job. It, it's a little bit of work, but not that much.
3: It's, it's kept me kind of close to the industry after I retired. Um, so it, it kind of gives me a, a lead back into... Uh, trying to stay kind of up on the ledge sure. So um, I've certainly enjoyed it. And I guess we've been seven years at it. I think we've been
2: more like 10 plus years. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's been, and what I find also interesting is that I kind of get first peek at a lot of the posts that come in, you you know, even, even if they've being on the West coast, I'm generally behind both Andy and Walt. Uh, So they often have approved things before I see them. Uh, But they, I'm still like I find that I stay actively involved in in at least reading the discussions as they come through, and that's that's very interesting
0: good, cool. Are you guys looking for more help but or do you have this under I, control
2: nice nice segue, yes, I would say that having done it for ten years, we would certainly uh welcome any other people who might be interested in
0: in participating all right, what's the best way for them to uh make their uh willingness to participate known? maybe they just make a post
2: yeah any, want to any, see
0: it.
2: <laughs> any post that they send through we yep. we three will see it for sure so, yeah okay.
0: yeah so, and
3: we we yeah. communicate with each other as well so uh it's that's something we haven't actually mentioned but uh if there's a, a post that we have a question about we the three of us will communicate so we'll all know it if somebody is interested
0: yeah, that's yeah. right. Do you guys still use, I think I'd set up years ago, like a, a separate community for that. Do you guys use that or do you just send each other we emails do. or, yeah. Okay.
3: We absolutely, or we use email as well, yeah. but yeah, we use the, yeah. uh, the moderators. I think it's called the moderators forum yeah. And, yep. uh, yeah. and communicate through that and it works well.
0: And that's good too. Cause then it's not just yeah. some like unilateral, like, well, this is what I'm going to do. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, this, I think this is commercial. Do you guys agree? Or, you know, whatever.
2: We certainly have those conversations on the on the backside that people don't see. Is like, hey, is this one a little too much in that direction? Yeah, hey, I agree. And so, okay, well, well,
0: you know, somebody will reach out. So cool,
2: it's collaborative.
0: Love it. All right, guys. Well, thanks. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess this is fi- last call for anything else before I hit the stop button.
3: Thanks for no all you do, did. John. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah. Your podcasts thanks. are absolutely
0: fantastic. Oh, so. thanks. I, yeah. I just show up and ask questions. It's no big deal. There you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you, you do a little more than that.
0: That was Andy Tavikram, Lars Larson, and Walter Heeb here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you weren't already following along, check the show notes for links to each of the Ask the Brewmasters posts we talked about today and visit community.mbaa.com where you can find the award-winning technical brewing forum known as Ask the Brewmasters. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Malt, BSG, Precision Fermentation, and the Lupulin Exchange. So please, please, Let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.